You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Well, if you're thinking about being a Christian, um, you know, a lot of people around you are going to think, man, that's just crazy. That is weird. That's silly to be a Christian or that's just uh, boring. There's a lot of, a lot of perceptions of Christianity and, and the result because of that reception that we often get if you're thinking about being a Christian or if you are a Christian is the result is there's a tendency to try to be a cool Christian. You know, to not let anyone think that you're weird, but hip and smart. And so oftentimes when we try to go into this hip, cool, smart mode of being a Christian, what usually follows is compromise. And this is what was happening in the church in the city of Corinth. It was a young, urban church in a hip and wild city. They were struggling between being cool and being with Christ, with what others thought and with what God thought. Maybe that's you today. Maybe that's where you are today. Well, this is for you. Some of you might be resisting becoming a Christian just by the fact that you don't want anybody to think that you're a total freak. So you're you're trying. All right, you're trying to find a way to be both someone who goes to heaven and still be chill. So we're going to talk about that today. We're going to jump in right where we left off with entering into Corinth. Corinth is an interesting city. It was basically uh, the original sin city. It was written by the Apostle Paul um, to a church in a city that was uh, highly populated. Uh, He actually... Uh, lived there five and a half years earlier before this letter, and he planted the church. He lived with the people. He knew them well. That story is recorded in Acts chapter 18, and he wrote them four times after he moved out of Corinth. He was in Ephesus at the time of this letter, and he'd written them four times. We only have two of those letters. Now, this was the Vegas of the ancient world. It was a cosmopolitan seaport, and it was an entertainment city. It was a place where people would come and party and leave. Their town mascot was literally the goddess of sex, Aphrodite, also known as Venus. And in this picture here, at the top of this mountain, the Acropolis, there was a massive temple to Aphrodite that at one point had over a 1,000 prostitutes that worked in the temple where people would just come in, have sex to the goddess uh, in honor of the goddess of Aphrodite or Venus, and believe that that would bless their life and their future. This was a city that had a reputation for being wild. It was a messed up city, and it was a messed up church, and they were trying in this city to learn how to walk with God. Well, this letter is all over the map. We're going to find over the next few weeks that it has arguing, suing, rampant immorality. They were getting drunk at church events. There was a misuse of spiritual gifts. They were ignoring sin. There was even an issue of incest in the church. And they were progressive and they were proud of it. But Paul addresses all of these issues with grace. And it got messy in a messy church in a messy city. After he loves on them, he begins to lovingly lay into them. And the first issue last week was that they were incredibly divisive. This week, Paul lays out the unifying factor of our faith, and that is the cross. Let's pick up with the verse we left off last week, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 17. He says, For Christ did not send me, Paul, 
to baptize, but to preach the gospel. This is not saying that baptism is not important, but he's saying that don't confuse the message with the symbol. Don't confuse what we are here to do. It's not about, hey, we got 12 baptisms, woo. No, this is about, there are 12 people that, get, that said yes to Jesus. And the gospel was preached. Baptism is a reflection of that decision. It is not salvation in itself. And he says, don't be confused with the symbol, with the Savior. It's the good news of the cross. That is the message. He goes on to say, it wasn't because of this symbol. Uh, I didn't preach to you some kind of symbol. And he goes, and I didn't do this wisdom with eloquence. I didn't dress right, look cool, have, the, have, the, have a rad haircut. He goes, uh, it wasn't, you know, the, the cool songs and the hipster approach or some kind of crazy illustration. It wasn't with wisdom or eloquence, lest the cross be emptied of its power. Now, there's nothing wrong with those things. But he was saying our message is not a formula, it's not a format, it's not a fashion, it's not a method, but it is a message. And that message cannot be distracted by the approach. He said stick to the gospel because that's where the power is. So the question is, is what is the gospel? What is the message that has the power? Well, I want you to write this down. The cross is a simple message. We're going to talk about the cross today. And right off the top, I want you to know that the cross is a simple message. And we, we tend to, and I'm guilty of this, we tend to like overcomplicate it. Man, there are volumes of books and mountain high commentaries on the cross. But it's a simple message. And sometimes we get so, you know, clouded and surrounded and confused by the details of the cross that we miss the simplicity of the cross. What is the message? What is the good news? It's simply the cross. Here's the message. God is holy. We are not. And unless there's a way of escape, we will face God's judgment. Good news. The cross is that way. That's the gospel. The word gospel means good news. So what is this good news? It's that. God is holy. We are not. And unless there is a way of escape, we will face God's judgment. Good news. The cross is that way. The message of the gospel is the cross. God demonstrated in the cross his holiness, his wrath, his mercy, his love, and his grace. All with three nails and some wood. The cross. It's where God conquered Satan, sin, death, hell, the grave, demons and difficulties, and reconciled us back to himself, and the resurrection sealed the deal. The simplicity of the gospel is hard to believe because it's so simple. It's a hard message. The cross, so simple. The most famous verse ever is the simple message of the cross, John 3.16. Write this down. The cross is not only simple, but the cross is an offensive message. Now, to the readers of this letter in ancient Corinth, just the mention of their hero being on a cross would have been repulsive, would have been repulsive to them. To understand how strange and offensive this would have been, I want you to imagine this. Imagine the person next to you had this on their earrings, a mushroom cloud earrings. And they're like, what is that all about? That's, that's, devastating and the person well I, I have these these uh, uh, mushroom cloud earrings to celebrate 
the bombing of Hiroshima, to celebrate the thousands of people that, you know, in honor of their life that was, that, that was lost in those two bombings. Or, or maybe when you went to work tomorrow, this was the entrance to the parking lot. This is the entrance to Auschwitz, the concentration camp during Nazi Germany where they gassed hundreds of thousands of Jewish people and millions ultimately lost their life. And this gate reads, to work brings freedom. This was the lie that they were fed. And if someone comes in and, and you see this over the parking lot at your new job and you're like, what is that all about? Well, I, I just believe the saying is true, to work brings freedom. Or what if one of your kids or your son or daughter, your husband or your wife came home with a brand new tattoo and they said, check out my tattoo, bam, and it's this. They have an electric chair down the back. Like, what is that about, man? I want to, this is in honor of my brothers and my sisters who, ha, who were put to death in, in the electric chair, you know. Or, or maybe it's the other side. Maybe some of you are like, man, I just believe in justice, and I believe that justice must be served, and I believe in the death penalty, so I have this tattoo because I believe in the death penalty and that it should be served and that it is serious crimes only. And then what if, what if by just some chance you decided, well, I'm going to get some new jewelry, and this was hanging off the chain, a hypodermic needle. Like, why in the world do you have a hypodermic needle? By the way, for some of you, that's just gross looking, isn't it? For some of you looking at the tip of that needle is like giving you kind of some, some willies inside because you have an issue with, with needles. And so say someone made a necklace out of a hypodermic, and you're like, what is that about? Now, I like to wear this every day because it reminds me and celebrates lethal injection in someone that I loved who died. Now, you would look at that person, you would look at this this mushroom cloud, this Auschwitz gate, this electric chair, and this hypodermic needle, and you might say, man, that person's crazy. I cannot believe that you're wearing that. I can't believe that you put that on you. That's weird. That is offensive. And everyone here would agree that is highly inappropriate. And for many of you, it would be repulsive. This is what the Roman world would have thought of when the Christians were celebrating and talking about this, the cross. When they begin, the next one, when they began to celebrate the cross, you got to get into the mind of every Roman citizen. They would have been thinking, that is disgusting. That is disgusting. The cross was a symbol of death, and it was vile. It was for the worst of the worst. See, Roman citizens respected their own citizens so much that they didn't give them the cross. They cut their heads off. Only non Roman citizens were crucified because that was the, the death of the most vile, most immoral, most disgusting people. And so here comes these Christians, and not only Christians, but Roman Christians saying the worst of the worst, the most disgusting, the most violent, the most obscene way that someone could possibly die is what we are celebrating. This is not something you talk about. This is something you should be embarrassed about. Anybody here by any chance today wearing a cross, necklace, earrings, or anything like that today? Anybody wearing a cross today? Anybody else? Like Now we wear it now like it's just jewelry. You know, an earring, you know, a necklace, engraved on a watch or something. 
We don't think twice about it. But when they were talking about this cross and what we're going to look at next, you got to see that what they were seeing was something that was really, really disturbing and hard for them to accept. It was an offensive message. One of my favorite verses, the very next verse in Corinthians is this. One of my favorites. This is one of my top ten favorite verses in the Bible is this. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. That means those who are lost and will be judged. But to us who are being saved, that means God's not done with us yet, it is the power of God. I want to talk about this verse. There's a few things about this verse, and I want you to know that Jesus is foolish even to some of you here. You're hearing this message today, and some of you are like, man, this, what's the big deal about the cross? This is just kind of, you know, weird. Why did God even give us the cross? Why couldn't God just have said, all right, you're forgiven, and just declared it? Isn't he God? Can't he just, like, wave his arms and everybody be okay? here, but if it is, I may use the handheld if you, if you want to switch out the battery, Stephen. Well, I want you to write this down. The cross is a foolish message. Not only is it simple, not only is it offensive, but it is foolish. When Paul says foolish, by the way, he is saying it tongue-in-cheek in the perspective of a non-Christian. Three times he says, Paul says it is a foolish message in verse 18 to 25, and then he says it is a uh, given to a foolish people, which is verses 26 to 31. And then he says in chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, but it is given through a foolish messenger. He says, man, everything about this in your perspective is foolish. And you want to know why it's foolish to you? Well, because you're perishing. That's what he says. The cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. There are three types of wisdom that Paul's about to lay out to us, and these are the three types of wisdom. The first one is Israel's wisdom, and Israel's wisdom is this, is that they emphasize power. They emphasize power. How do they emphasize power? Because they are looking for a mightiful, uh, a, a, a powerful leader who has might and power, and they were looking for him. They were looking for a Messiah who was going to come in political power who's going to come in might. That was the sign that they were looking for. They wanted power because they wanted free to be free from Rome. They were in chains to the oppression of the Roman government, and they were looking for a powerful leader. Jesus didn't do that, so they denied him as the Messiah. Now, the Greeks are a different type of person. They're not emphasizing power. They're emphasizing knowledge. And what they do is they're lovers of philosophy and logic. In fact, there were 50 different types of schools of philosophy just in the Greek culture. And they would gather together in the arenas and in the culture squares, and they would have these debates and these discussions, and thousands of people would come out just to hear the greats debate and, and interact with their philosophy. They were known for this. Some of the great philosophers that ever lived are in the Greek culture, like Aristotle, uh, Aristotle, uh, Plato, Socrates. These are some of the hundreds of great philosophers philosophers that came out of Greek culture. The word philosophy really is about and simply about man's wisdom. It literally means love of wisdom or knowledge. 
In fact, the Greek word for this wisdom is the word Sophia. The word Sophia means wisdom. And in chapter 1, the word Sophia is used 16 times to talk about this foolish type of wisdom. And then there is the Christian wisdom, which emphasizes the cross. He says there are those that emphasize power, those that emphasize knowledge, but we as Christians... They think we're foolish because we emphasize a symbol of vile, vile death. We celebrate someone who was a criminal. The cross of Jesus. And you're like, well, that's just, it's too simple. There's got to be more to this story than the cross. It's too easy. It's too childish. I mean, we have kid venture going on in second service, and they're learning about the cross of Jesus. The child can understand it. And you're like, oh, give me something more. There's got to be more. Listen, the cross is so simple, it's foolish. It seems ridiculous. It means we have no part in it. See, that's God's economy, and it turns the world on its end. Paul follows a great contrast between the foolishness of men and the faith of many between human wisdom and divine wisdom in the next few verses. Let's take a look in verse 19, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He goes on, he says, it is written, and he's quoting Isaiah 29. He says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the uh, intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. You see, the world thinks they're so smart. The world thinks they are so intelligent and so together. But their wisdom, he says, in all of that wisdom, they still don't see him. They still don't know him. In their wisdom, they are made into a fool. It says, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. And he says, Jews, that's Israel, they demand signs. That's that desire for power. And Greeks, well, they look for wisdom, that is knowledge and philosophy. See, he presents to us two reasons that many of us uh, don't say yes to Jesus is because you are pursuing either knowledge or your power or your might. And you think, I don't need God. I just need knowledge. You know, I knew a guy who uh, used to be on our ministry team years ago, and uh, he grew up in, in church, and, and he went to college. And when he became uh, a student in college and he began to learn, uh, he became an agnostic and it blows me away. I'm like, how could someone, I have to wonder, man, was he really born again? Did he really know Jesus to begin with? But he was so crowded and confused by the knowledge of this world and this life that you should, I tell you what, when you put Jesus to the test of intelligence, Jesus wins, all right? But in his search for knowledge, his questions brought him no answers, and as a result, because of the so-called knowledge that he attained, he lost his wisdom of the divine, and he became one who loved wisdom rather than God. 
And some people, they're in that search for, for significance. They, they search for power, position. They, they search for possessions. And they, they're looking just like the Jewish people. They're, it's the assertiveness of self-reliance. You've got those that rely on intellect, personal wisdom and opinion, and those that rely on assertiveness, their own might, their own personal confidence. And as a result, I don't need God. I don't need the cross. I don't need Jesus. That's for children. That's for kids. It's a simple message for babies that go to VBS and for little kids. And then you grow up and then you embrace real knowledge. And you embrace the fact that you are self-reliant and you don't need God. That's all just some kind of fairy tale of control. And see, that's the knowledge of this world. And that's what Paul is presenting. You might think that you're wise, but you're really just apart from Christ. And Paul says that's foolish. See, we're all somebody's fool. You might be your own fool or the fool of knowledge or the fool of might and power or you are going to be a fool for Christ. He goes on, verse 23, he says, but we, Christians, we preach Christ crucified. And some people, they preach knowledge, they preach philosophy, they preach uh, intellect, they preach logic, and there's nothing wrong with those, but apart, apart from Christ, that's foolish. And some of you preach power and might and position and success and accolades and, and money. And, and there's, you know, apart from Christ, that is foolish as well. He says, but we, he says, we preach not just Christ because the message of the gospel is the cross. He says, we preach Christ crucified. The message is not Christ the great, it is not Christ the moral, Christ the good, or Christ just the lover of people who taught us how to be nice and kind. The message is not Christ the hippie, it is Christ the crucified. The message is Jesus died for you. That's the message. And many will see this as foolish and that it doesn't compute. I don't understand this message of the cross. It's so basic, so simple, so strange, so odd. Why can't God just wave his arms like I said earlier and say, you're forgiven? This message, he says, he goes on to say, that Christ is crucified. The cross is a stumbling block. You know, like that's when you, it trips you up. It's a stumbling block to the Jews, the self-assertive types. And it's foolishness to the Gentiles. That's the self-proclaimed intellectuals. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, it is Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. See, this is a stumbling block for some. I, I, some of you, you just can't get past this cross issue. You know, you're like, yeah, I want to accept all the good things about the Bible, you know, caring for each other and loving each other, uh, forgiving people and being, just being nice and, you know, treating others like you want to be. I, I'll buy into all that. But this whole Jesus died on the cross for our sins, ah, that's just, I'm just going to leave that to the hyper-spiritual. I'm going to leave that to the, to the Jesus freaks. I'm going to live the values but not embrace the cross. A lot of people, that's how you live. I just, they would rather give up 
other things. I mean, some of you, listen, to follow Jesus, they don't understand. Why would you give up power, position, possessions, and influence in pursuit of the cross? You might think it foolish. Friends will think that it is foolish. Your family will think that it is foolish. But nonetheless, we preach it. This is what he says. We keep giving the good news of the cross. See, we don't need to change it. We don't need to candy coat it. We don't need to whitewash it. We don't need to fancify it, make it more favorable or more flavorable. We don't need to update it, rearrange it, or reorganize it to make it more acceptable. We just need to preach it. He says that's what we preach, the cross. So verse 25, he goes, so for the so-called foolishness of God is wiser, the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God, you're like, whoa, what does that mean, the weakness of God? This is, again, a perceived Greek view of Jesus. The weakness of God is that Jesus became a man, that God became a man and died. They're like, why in the world would you follow somebody who died? Why would you follow a God who allowed himself to be tortured, beat, whipped, and dragged around and thrown onto a cross and humiliated? What kind of weak God do you have? And he says, and the weakness of God, his death on the cross, is stronger than human strength. See, the cross is stronger than anything this world has to offer. There's no drug, there's no relationship, there's no child, there's no job, there's no education, and there's not even sex can give you what Christ can give you. The world's strength is actually the strongest thing the world has to offer you is still less than the greatest weakness of God, which is the cross. The cross, here's the next thing I want to write down, is a powerful message. It's a powerful message. It's greater, more powerful than anything you could ever imagine. He goes on to say, verse 18, uh, going back, he says, The message of the cross to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. In verse 24, he says, To those who God has called, it is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And in verse 17, he says, Even if we point to anything other than the cross in our message, then when we preach anything but the cross, we lose the power of the message there is no power in our message without the cross. What kind of power? Write this down. It's power enough to reach anyone. This is power that can reach anyone. There is no one beyond the reach of God. There is no family member. There is no friend. There's no neighbor. There's no coworker. There's no celebrity. There's no athlete. There's no musician. There is nobody that is unable to resist the pull, the call, the power of God. God's power is strong enough to reach anyone. Look at verse 26, chapter 1. He says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Now remember, this is a crazy town. This is Corinth. This is, this is Vegas. This is, this is uh, people who had sex on that Chronopolis up at 
Aphrodite's temple on a regular basis. And in town, they had a whole bunch of other sex temples and other temples to other deities. And they would go in there and they would party. They would get drunk. Check. All right, they would go and they would just take uh, all of their privileges and live their life as wild as they could. And here's what Paul says. says, remember what you were. Remember where you came from. Remember that was you. Remember what your life was like before the cross, before Jesus called your name. He says, not many of you were wise by human standards. That means you were dumb, all right? He says, that means nobody considered you smart, but people looked down on you. Not many of you were influential, he says. That means you weren't famous. You didn't have position. You didn't have uh, any kind of authority at work or in your job, and you weren't well-known, and not many of you were of, of, a, of noble birth. He goes, man, you, didn't, you weren't born into wealth and riches. You weren't born into prosperity. You weren't born into royalty. He says, remember this. This is where some of you came from. Here you go, Stephen. Service one is like guinea pig service. But I give you my best. You know, sometimes I, I, I get to second service, and I'm like, man, I want to do it just like first service. But it's not. They get It's two separate services with two different kind of flows, but the notes are the same. But he says, that's what you were, but this is where you are. He says, that's the power of the cross. You're not out of reach. That person is not out of reach. Here's the next thing. What kind of power is this? He says, well, this is the power that's enough to cross barriers. This is power that's enough to cross any wall and any, any chasm or any kind of division between people and one another. You see, the Roman and Greek culture, they were notorious for segregation. They were constantly and perpetually looking down on others and shaming others. Then here comes Jesus. And that is why the cross is so unifying. He says, man, we will find ourselves all of us, no matter who you are, we all find ourselves in the same condition. Whether you're rich or poor, black or white, Asian or Hispanic, whether you're liberal or conservative, whether you're a have or a have not, whether you're strong or whether you are weak, it doesn't matter. At the cross, we're all on level ground before the feet of Jesus. All of us are lost and in need of grace. And he says, you know what? That's the power of the cross. Every division between us is crossed. Powerful enough to break down barriers and build bridges. This is what I love about the church in Corinth. You're going to find they struggled with segregation, but Paul writes to them, and they began to heal and come together. What kind of power is the cross? Well, it's also power enough to make a nobody a somebody. And I love this because I'm a nobody. He says in verse 27, he says, but here you are because of the cross. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things. That means the people of low position. That means the nobodies. And the things that are not, that's the, the nobodies and the unexpected, the people that... Society counted out and crossed off the list. He says to nullify the things that are. 
Ever notice how at times powerful people tend to make much of themselves? Jesus says, I like to take the people who don't think much of themselves because I like to take the nobodies and I like to make them somebody so that one, he says, so that no one can boast before him so that nobody can say, I did this. Look how awesome I am, how great I am. Hey, here's good news for you. If you are wealthy, if you have money, or if you're in a position, or if you're powerful, here's good news. God can use you too. But God loves to take the nobodies and make them a somebody. See, it's the power to take a group of smelly, nasty, dirty fishermen and turn them into church planters and world changers we now call the apostles. It's the power to take a guy like Paul, a terrorist, and turn him into an evangelist. That's the power of the cross. See, there's a lot of Christians who are in this life considered losers. But guess what? You happen to be on the winning team. So that makes you a winner. Verse 30 says, it is because of him, because of God, not your might, not your knowledge, that you are in Christ Jesus. It is the cross of Jesus that turns the poor in spirit to the rich in grace. He says that you are in Christ who has become the wisdom, that's supernatural understanding from God. Handheld microphones, got to love them. It is in Christ alone that we make sense of this world. You'll never, ever, ever make sense of your life apart from Jesus. I want you to know that. This whole church thing is not a thing. It is the only thing. And I'm not talking about church, church. I'm talking about the understanding of who Christ is in the cross. We can't make sense of the world without him, of ourselves or of eternity. You want to understand? You want to know Jesus. Colossians chapter 2, Paul writes this. He says, my goal is that they, followers of Jesus, he says, may be encouraged in this. I love this. Be encouraged in heart and unified in love so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding, complete understanding of what? Of God. In order that you may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. That is the mystery that, that when you walk in Christ, God begins to supernaturally give you something. I want you to write that down. It is in Christ in whom all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are given. No amount of knowledge in this world is enough to satisfy. There's not a measure of education. You could have a bachelor's, a master's, uh, two or three doctorates. You could have training school and you could have knowledge in all kinds of things. Maybe you've watched every YouTube do-it-yourself video ever written. You know a little bit of everything. But you'll never know enough until you know Jesus. He's more than enough plus more. Paul writes in this letter in verse 30 in 1 Corinthians, he says, It is because of him, Christ, that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. Write this down. The cross is a supernatural message. What he is about to say in these three words, he gives us three amazing supernatural things that happen because of the cross. He says three things. He says righteousness, and he says holiness, and he says redemption, all are found in the cross. You see, that righteousness is a declaration 
that you are made right through the power of God. Now, how many of you guys have still, uh, how many of you guys still make mistakes? Anybody here still make mistakes? I'm one of those guys. How can I, who make mistakes, be called righteous? Because we are the righteousness of God in Christ. Not in Ted, not in you, not in my attendance at church or my giving. My righteousness is not in my good works or my good deeds. It is in my good Lord. It is in Jesus. He says, that is your righteousness. And when Christ is looked to at the cross, when you humble yourself and turn to him, Jesus declares you righteous. That means that you are made right in the power of the cross and given the power to live right. You are righteous. Now live righteously. And then he says, holy. This is what you are position is. One is a declaration. This is you are declared. This is a declaration or a proclamation. And now this is a position. God takes you out of a place of sin, out of selfishness, out of depravity, and God plucks you up when you say yes to Christ, and he plants you in a position of holiness. He puts you in a position, in a place, or in a process of set-apart living. The word holy means set-apart. It means different. God has put you in a position that you are now to develop the habits that cause you to look different than the world, to be different than those around you, to live a life that reflects this God who is holy. We have a new God-given power in a position to live differently. While one is a declaration or a proclamation, the second one is a position, and this next one is a promise of a future event. Now, there is a redemption that is a purchase that you are bought by Christ, but the tense of this verb in, in, uh, in this verse is of a future redemption. What does that mean? That means our sin is something that we are declared free from and made righteous. And our sin is something that we are called and to, to be holy, to be set apart, to be delivered from. And our redemption is a future rescue from this life of sin. So you have a proclamation, a position, and a promise in Christ right now. You are redeemed, and you will be redeemed at his return, and we will be totally free from pain, death, sin, and temptation. Until then, fight on, because the cross says you are righteous, holy, and redeemed. What God has done for us, what God is doing in us, and what God will do for us in the future. Christ is our wisdom, power, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Now that's something to get excited about. And that's why he ends this chapter with this. He says, man, that's something to get psyched about. He says, therefore, as it is written, verse 31, let one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Man, if you got something to be excited about, if you got something to tell somebody about, if you are pumped and you want to brag a little bit, you got something to brag about. I am holy. I am righteous. I am redeemed. I got something to tell you. I got something to brag about. It is Jesus the cross. I got something. He says, I love it. Let one who boasts boast in this. When we look to the cross, we really can't boast about anything 
about ourselves because it's not us that hung on that cross. It's not us that died for our sins. It's not any of our doing at all, but it's worth getting excited about. I want you to write this down. This is the last thing. The cross is a message of love. So we get excited. God loves me. God loves you. Romans 5a says that God demonstrates his love in this, that while we were sinners, the cross. In verse 6, he says, even while we were godless and powerless, the cross. And in verse 10, he says, even while we were his enemies and hated him, the cross. John 15, 13 says, no greater love than this, the cross. 1 John 4, 10 says, even when we did not love him, he loved us and gave the cross. Listen, everything about this message about the cross is centered on his passionate, incredible Amazing, undeserved, messy grace love. That violent, bloody, torturous, scandalous, beautiful cross. The most famous verse in the Bible says it all. If you know the verse, you can say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3, 16. That's the cross. While we reject, uh, while we rejoice in this, some of you will reject it. And here's why. They don't want to hear that God is humble because they don't want to be humble. They don't want to hear that God is sinless because they don't want to stop sinning. And they don't want to hear that God is loving because they don't love anyone but themselves. And so they resist. Jesus wasn't hip. Jesus wasn't cool. Jesus wasn't rich. Jesus wasn't powerful when he walked this earth, but he was simple. He was humble. And at times he was homeless and he was arrested and he suffered and he was executed and he was buried in a borrowed tomb. And some of you are like, and you expect me to follow this guy? You expect me to believe that he rose from the grave? I don't know. God didn't come to us in a way that we would, would have expected. God doesn't look like the person we want to be. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, truly the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, that means that God is still working on us. It is the power of God. That is the cross. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the cross. God, I thank you, Lord, for that good Friday. God, when the weight of my sin in all eternity, the weight of sin of the past, the present, and the future was placed upon the shoulders of one person, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. I want you to know something today. Jesus loves you. Just look to the cross. He cares for you. Just look to the cross. He hasn't forgot you. Just look to the cross. Why are you running? Look to the cross. Why do you doubt that he has good things for you? Look to the cross.
right now, look to the cross. I want, want all of you in your mind just to picture the cross, what it might have been like that day. Only a few of his admirers were there as all of his friends had run away. The crowd was there to mock and to spit on and to throw rocks at and to belittle. The soldiers were there just doing their work, trying to make this as terrible and as painful as possible, mocking and making fun. That's his love for you. He was buried in a tomb. But to prove the power of the cross, he rose from the dead. Do you believe that today? Would you just take a moment and say, Jesus, right where you are in your own words, Jesus, thank you for the cross. Go ahead and thank him for the cross. Christian, non-Christian, just thank him for the cross. That power that can reach even me. God, that power that can reach the people that I love. God, the power that destroys barriers. God, the power that can turn a nobody into somebody. God, thank you for the cross. If you're here and you'd like to receive the power of the cross, just say, God, forgive me of my sin. I receive the work of the cross. God, thank you for dying for my sins. Wash me clean. Wash me clean. you my life. Give me the power to live a life that honors you and is worthy of the cross. God, I pray this in Jesus' mighty name, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.